courtrooms uh, and that kind of situation is it's hectic. It really is. It's crazy stuff. Um, in Australia, in court, people get sent based on a decision that a group of people make. People get sentenced to life in jail or or not go free. In America, people still get sentenced to death. Like literally, there's people deciding, yeah, we're going to kill you or we're not going to kill you. Like court is a crazy place in those trials. You can see from that lady, it's, it's just crazy stuff. And I reckon as you watch that and you hear about what the stuff she's supposedly done, you go, I'm glad that there's a court that, that makes these decisions and it's right that justice is done from us watching from the outside. But I reckon... Almost every single one of us, if we were in the hot seat like that lady, I don't reckon we're sitting there going, I sure hope justice gets done and I sure hope that, you know, they give me what I deserve. I reckon you're just terrified. You're just terrified. Seriously, like, <laughs> uh, you, you're facing the prospect of literally, yeah, we're going to kill you. Wait here until we do. You're, you're facing, you, the world is seeing the things that you've done and you have to deal with the shame of what you've done. <laughs> uh, just the whole process would just be absolutely terrifying if you were facing that and guilty. It would just it just blows my mind to think about what it would be like. And you can see by the way that lady was going that it's it is pretty hectic. Now, for the last four weeks uh, at youth, we've been working our way through chapters one to three of Romans, and the consistent theme again and again and again has been a pretty heavy theme. And it's, this is basically what we've been seeing over the last like four weeks. Here it is. As humans, we're sinners before God, and so we are guilty. And one day we will face that God guilty of our sin. Now the passage that we're looking at tonight, in the context of all that we've just seen in the last three chapters, is the best news in the world. Like literally, sometimes people exaggerate, I've got the best news in the world, new flavor of paddle pops. You know, like that's an exaggeration. This is literally, I think, the best news in the world. Because what this passage says as we look at it tonight is pretty, is, is, is amazing. It says that we can be made completely not guilty before God. That's what this part of the Bible says. Um, some people have said, famous people, um, experts on the Bible have said that these verses are the most important sentences in existence in all of human history. And I reckon if they're true, and I'm convinced that they are true, then they literally are the most important words ever written down. Because understanding the things that are in this passage is literally, again, the difference between heaven and hell, guilty or not guilty before God for all eternity and the consequences that come with those two things. This is big stuff that we're looking at tonight. I'm going to pray and then we're going to, we're going to dive into the Bible together. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that tonight you would open our eyes to see the truth. Father, if these things are true, if this message is real, Lord, I pray that it would be so clear to us tonight. Well, please help us to understand the hugeness of our problem before you. And Lord, we beg you desperately that you'd help us to understand with absolute clarity the solution to that problem. Amen. All right. Now, this passage says a lot of things, and I just can't take us through all of it. But 
The first big thing that I want us to see in this passage tonight is pretty simple. It's the same thing you've been looking at the last few weeks, but we've got to go there again because the guy who's writing it, Paul does, because he thinks it's that important. And here it is. Here's the first point. Everyone is guilty before God. If you go to verse 23, you'll see it there really clearly. This is basically a summary of what we've heard for the last three weeks, but we're going to leave this after this. Verse 23. There's no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't actually take that much explaining, does it? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, I reckon most people are on board with that first half. That's not that hard to get. They go, everyone's sinned. And they go, yeah, that makes sense. I don't, I could be wrong. I don't think there'll be many people in this room who would say, I haven't sinned. I've never done the wrong thing. I am perfect. I've always done what's right. I don't think anyone here is going to have any troubles with that. Maybe you do. I think most people recognize that they do stuff wrong and they don't do the right thing all the time. So everyone can say, yeah, I've sinned, right? But the second bit is pretty critical because it says they fall short of the glory of God. They fall short of God's standard. And I reckon this is critical for us to get our heads around because typically what people do is they go, all have sinned, no one's perfect. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And so therefore, we're pretty much all in the same boat. No one's really perfect. And so God surely doesn't have a problem with us for that, does he? We're all, you know, he's not going to get angry at all of us if we're all the same. We've all got the same problem. Well, actually, this passage says that there is a problem. All have sinned, so we're all in the same boat, sure. And that means we've actually fallen short of God's standard. There's actually something that we haven't done right before God that we should have. And it means that we're in a lot of trouble, even if everyone's in the same boat. I want you, I'll give you an illustration to try and grasp what this problem looks like. Um, imagine you've got two different guys, both trying to reach up from planet Earth and grab a hold of the stars, if that were possible. That's not, right? Um, but, it, you know, <laughs> he's failed, okay? Yeah, so you've got two guys doing that, and you've got one guy, like, down the bottom of the deepest mine in existence in the world, but it's also one where you can see the sky, and he's, like, at the bottom of a mine, looking up at, like, a little dot, which is the light, and he's going, yeah, I'm going to reach up and grab those stars. Yeah, I'm really not getting there. And then he sees through video cams or just imagines another guy who's on top of Mount Everest, right? He's at the highest point in the world going for the stars again. Now, I reckon if all we're doing is comparing the mine guy to the guy on the mountain, there's a pretty big difference between those two. And if you were just looking at each other, you'd be like, yeah, that dude on the mountain, he's getting there. I'm in trouble down here in this mine. You, you might, if you're just comparing between each other, you might believe that, you know, maybe one guy's pretty close and one guy's pretty far away. But if you zoom back properly and get the perspective on what the actual standard is, it doesn't matter if you're on top of a mountain or at the bottom of the deepest mine, neither of those guys are going to grab the stars. Now, there might be a difference between one sinner and another, right? There's, there's some pretty, you know, the video we just saw of that lady who supposedly tortured people, you know, so there's some pretty serious sinners out there. And then there's some people like, I imagine you probably think of yourself like this or you put yourself in the middle somewhere, but you go, there's the the bad guys and then there's not so bad guys. But the point is, it's not about who's worse than you or better than you. It's about what's the actual standard. And the standard is the glory of God that we'd measure up to to, to having the goodness of God. And we don't do that. And so because of that, we've got a massive problem with God. And the problem doesn't come 
because God's got two higher expectations, right? So the problem with that illustration is reaching for the stars is it's an impossible thing that no one's ever going to succeed at. It's not that God has two higher expectations such that he's asking something of us that is unreasonable. He's asking us to be what we should be, but we fall short of that standard. And so there's this huge, colossal problem with us and the God of the universe who made us. That's all in verse 23 there. But here's the second amazing thing that this passage says. Here it is. The only solution to this problem is to be declared by God not guilty. The word this passage uses is justified. That's what we need to have done. Check out verse 24, starting in 23 though. All sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace. Now, this week as I've been dwelling on this stuff, I've worked out, I think justified is my favorite word in the English vocabulary. It is an awesome word. The word in this, in this Bible comes from the ancient courtroom setting, right? And it basically means the opposite of guilty. It means the opposite of condemned. And so another way of saying this verse would be just to simply say, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are declared not guilty by his grace. Now, grace just means getting something for free that you don't deserve. We're declared not guilty even though we don't deserve it. Even though we genuinely are guilty and in and of ourselves we deserve to be called guilty, we're declared not guilty for free. <clears throat> now, we need to spend some time later on thinking about and, and digging into how God can actually do that. How is it possible that God, you guys are right? What's going on? You right? Cool. All right. Um, how is it possible that God can just grab people who are guilty and go, you know what, you're not guilty, and declare them not guilty? We need to figure that out because that's that's the guts of this thing, right? We need to get there. But before we do, I want you guys to just get your heads properly around what is on offer here. So this isn't just a pardon for sins. It's not just it's not just simple forgiveness or a pardon for something you've done. See, a pardon is when you do something terrible and the person in charge goes, "You know what? You've done this thing. It's really really bad, but." I'm gonna kind of, I'm gonna let you go anyway. I'm gonna let you go free, even though, you know, this thing's terrible and it's still there. The, the damage you've caused is still there, but off you go. And it's almost like run along scamp, but I'm still pretty cranky at you. Justification is better than that. It's a declaration that you're actually no longer guilty. It actually means that if we're justified before God, right? If God at that point was to still judge us for the sin in the past, that would actually be wrong of God. It would be immoral of God to judge us for our sin if we are justified because there's no guilt remaining. The guilt is gone. The guilt is dealt with and the judgment has happened. And so it would be wrong for God to judge us if we are justified, declared not guilty. This isn't just scraping through into heaven with a pardon and God's like, man, I'm sure I'm cranky at you, but I guess I'll let you in even though, you... no, no, it's, it's not guilty. 
It's made as if you had never sinned, just as if you'd never sinned. It's a good way to remember what that word means, justify. This is good news that we're talking about tonight. The most important news in the world. Check out the way Romans chapter 4 describes what's going on here in this verse. Romans chapter 4 verse 5. Here's how he puts it here. However, to the, to the man, to the person who does not work for their salvation, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is given to him as righteousness. God justifies the wicked. God declares not guilty the guilty wicked people. Hazy asked this question in there before. How can God do that? How is that possible? It actually almost sounds kind of wrong, doesn't it? God declaring justified, not guilty, the people who are wicked. In the Bible, God actually says how much he hates it when a, when a guilty person is called innocent. Check out some verses up on the screen here from the Old Testament. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 15. Acquitting, which means letting off declaring not guilty, acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent, the Lord detests them both. In Exodus 23, verse 7, he actually says that he won't do this. Have nothing to do with a false charge. Do not put uh, put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will not acquit, let off, the guilty. God himself is a good God, you can't just let people get away with sin and, 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 and let them off. He cannot do that. And yet this passage is kind of saying that in Romans chapter, chapter 3 and 4 here. So how does that work? Here is the center of all that we're talking about tonight. Here is the center of Christianity. Here is how this works. God can declare guilty people, genuinely guilty, He can declare them not guilty because of Jesus' death on the cross. The first word this passage uses to describe that process is redemption. Check out verse 24. I'll go from 23 again just to get the build up. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, there's that beautiful word, freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, redemption is another big word. There's plenty of big words here tonight. I'm sorry about that. But it just means buying something back at a price. So setting it free, getting it back at a price. And so the word comes from like the slave market in the Old Testament. Because what used to happen is people would um, get in debt. They would, for whatever reason, they would end up overextended, not have enough money to pay the debts that they owe. And the way of making that right is that they'd actually enter slavery into the person that they owed money to until they could work off that debt. So um, you know, has anyone got like that friend who's always borrowing money off them and then like they don't have enough money to pay them back like the next day they're just borrowing more? Who's got that friend? Chet, if you were born like, <laughs> if you were born, you know, three and a half thousand years ago, you may very well have owned some of your friends as slaves, basically, right? That's how the system worked. Um, but here's the catch with that whole system it was possible to redeem those people who were bad with their money. It was possible to redeem people out of slavery, 
by someone coming along and paying for them. So it's like, you owe me a thousand bucks, you're my slave, be my butler, you know. And then, and then someone comes along and says, I'm going to set poor Billy free. And then they go, here's a thousand bucks, debt's cleared, they're redeemed, they're bought out of slavery. This passage is saying that we're justified through the redemption that comes in Jesus Christ. So somehow, Jesus has actually stepped up and he's paid a price to redeem us, to set us free. Now, what was that price that he paid? How did he do that? What does that look like? The next bit says it. Here's how he paid for it. He paid for it with his death as a sacrifice sacrifice that satisfies God's anger. Too many S's there. His death as a sacrifice that satisfies God's anger at our sin. So check out the second uh, verse 25. Redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Here's how. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. So God presented, God sent Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. And what this is saying is that I, I assume most of you guys who've grown up in Australia probably have some idea that a guy called Jesus died on the cross once, right? Here's what was going on there. It wasn't as if that was just some like unlucky accident, like Jesus was a top bloke, sure sad that he got killed at the end there, though. That's not what was going on. Jesus' death was not some kind of an unlucky accident. Jesus' death was the will of God as he sent his son to the cross, and it was Jesus' will as he willingly obeyed his father and went to the cross to die as a sacrifice instead of us. So because we are guilty of sin and Jesus is not, he comes to rescue us, swap places with us. The innocent guy, Jesus, goes to the cross and bears God's anger at our sin on himself, paying for our sin so that we no longer need to be judged for our sin. The punishment is paid in full, so there's no judgment left. There's no guilt to be dealt with. It's done. It's paid for. It's gone in the past. Give you an illustration. There's that scene in the movie The Hunger Games. Who's seen The Hunger Games? All right. Some of you guys may have used this scene to prank someone at Gloria Jeans recently. I don't know. I've heard about people doing this. But, you know, in, in the movie The Hunger Games, right? Yeah, you, you order a coffee, you ask and call yourself Primrose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, in, in this movie, right, you've got the evil dictators, and I don't know, I don't know the movie that well, but, you know, they, they every year they get a tribute who has to fight in this terrible Hunger Games war thing. And so every year they draw lots and they pull someone's name out. And this particular year in the movie, they're like, Primrose. And, and she has to go and do this terrible thing that she doesn't want to do. At this point in the movie, sorry to give it away if you haven't seen it, the main character Katniss like jumps forward and she's like, no, no, I will go as tribute. And so she's like, I volunteer, yeah, I volunteer as tribute. Yeah, that's right. And so she steps up and she says, no, no, don't take my sister. I'll be the tribute. And the point is, there's only one tribute to be done from each little district. So if she goes, her sister doesn't. It's not as if her sister owes anything if she's the tribute. That's what's going on there. And if you want, you can go to Gloria Jeans and ask for a coffee and call yourself Primrose. And then when they yell out Primrose, stand up and go, I'll go as tribute instead. You can do that if you want, right? Because that's what people have been doing. Now... All right, all right, bring it back in, guys. Now, 
don't get off track here. Put aside Gloria Jeans for a second. The point is that that's what Jesus has done for us as our sacrifice. Now, God is not some crazy dictator of an evil planet who requires a tribute or something like that. He's a just judge, and for him to be a good judge, he must judge sin. That's who God is, and it's right for him to do that. But what's on offer here is that Jesus willingly steps up and says, no, no, I will go instead of you. And he dies on the cross and pays it in full. And what that actually means, it means two things, not just one. It doesn't just mean that we get to go to heaven and that's sick. It actually means that that, right, that our justification is offered to us, salvation is offered to us, and God remains a good, just judge who doesn't just kind of sweep sin under the, under the carpet and not deal with it. So check out the second half of verse 25. He did this, sent Jesus, to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance and his patience, he'd left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time now so as to be just, the good God, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So Jesus' death saves us, and Jesus' death is the thing that ensures that God is a good God who deals with sin as well as saving us in the process. Now there's just one more thing that I desperately want every single person in this room to not miss out on tonight. We've got to get our heads around this one last thing tonight. Because it's not as if Jesus just died on the cross, I'll be tribute, for everyone in the world, whether they like it or not, whether they're going to trust in that or not, and so everyone's just going to see in heaven because Jesus has done it all for us. He has paid the price for those who will put their trust in him. We must have faith in Jesus, and if we don't, then Jesus' sacrifice is not for us. And so here's the last point. We can be declared not guilty through Faith in Jesus. And this is just scattered through almost every single verse in this section of the Bible. And you may not have saw it because it's just spread out. But check this out. Uh, first time, verse 22. This righteousness, this rightness with God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Verse 25. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Verse 26. He did it to demonstrate his justice and so on, so as to be just and the one who justifies. Who does he justify? Those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 27, where then his boasting is excluded on what principle by observing the No, but on that of faith. Verse 30, I can keep on going. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith, do we nullify the law by the faith? No, no, rather faith upholds the law. Faith is just scattered through every section of this passage. And here's the point. We must have our faith in Jesus for his sacrifice to be ours. God has justified those who have their faith in Jesus. Now, that's still Christian jargon, unfortunately. See, what does it mean to have faith? In Jesus, what does the word faith even mean? It's actually a word that I reckon has been hijacked 
and people have like slung all stupid meanings over what the word faith means. A little bit like the word gay, right? So 20 or 30 years ago, if you said, uh, I had a gay time today, that's because you had a fun, happy time, right? Fast forward a little bit, you say, I'm gay, that means that you're homosexual. And then a little bit later on, if you say, oh, that's gay, you're just saying that's something that I don't like, that sucks. And so the word gay has been hijacked and we just make it mean whatever the heck we want it to mean, it seems like. And it's the same thing with faith. People think of faith as being like just some ludicrous, far-off hope in something. I am sure having faith that it rains donuts tomorrow because I don't have any food in my house, like a far-off hope of something that may not ever happen. Sometimes people think that faith is like, a religious work that people do. So you're like, you know, there's, there's the people who aren't very good Christians. They look at the good Christians. They go, man, I had their faith. They've just got so much faith, so much faith that I'm sure they're going to get their way to heaven through faithness. And so it becomes this thing that people actually do to make themselves right with God. But that's the opposite of what faith is. Here is what faith is. It is very simple. Faith is trust. Faith is trust or reliance or dependence on Jesus. He's the one that we need to have our faith in. And that's all it is. It's not that crazy. Now, I've got a prop here. This wasn't just an accident. I'm going to give you a demonstration of faith. I'm not going to pull the roof down, right? But has anyone seen like a noob go abseiling? Someone who doesn't know what they're doing go abseiling, right? Typically, right, they're strapped, in, they're strapped into their harness and they're meant to have faith in their harness that their harness will like keep them up and they won't fall. And this is how they're abseiling. Like the wall's here and they're going like this. And the instructor's like, lean into the harness. Get off the wall. You're going to hurt yourself. And they're like twisting around on the wall and they're banging their shoulders and stuff. And the reason is that they don't have faith. They're not trusting their harness. And so it actually gets messy for them. They like get grazes and stuff. But when you have trust, I can't abseil obviously right now, but when you've got faith and trust in the harness, what that looks like is you sit back, you rest on, you rely on the harness. And it actually requires you to say, I'm not going to trust myself and hold on to the rope. This isn't me doing this. I trust, I rely on the harness. That's what faith looks like in abseiling. It's pretty simple. And what this means is for us to have faith, to, to have trust, in Jesus, when it comes to our salvation, it actually means we need to pry the rope out of our hands and stop trying to do it ourselves and stop going, I'm going to be good enough. I go to church heaps, therefore I can do this thing. Or I'm going to help lots of grannies or start a missionary club or, or whatever. And we try and do all these things thinking that these are the things that will save us and keep us safe from God's anger. That is the opposite of trusting Jesus. Stop relying on your own self Sit back in Jesus, the harness, who will keep you and will look after you, and he's the one who can save you. And so are you right with God? If you met God tonight, what would he think of you? Would you be guilty or not guilty? The answer to that problem depends entirely, not just a little bit, every skerrick of the answer to that question depends entirely on what your trust is in, what your faith is in. doesn't matter if you think you're the dude at the top of the mountain, close to the stars, even though you're not, or the guy at the bottom of the mine, so far from being at God's standard, it's ridiculously bad, right? doesn't matter where you are in that spectrum, what is your trust in? If your trust is in Jesus, if your 
if he's the thing you're relying on to save you, you are 100% not guilty right with God. <laughs> but if it's in anything else, even if it's a mixture of things, even if it's, yeah, this, Jesus is pretty sweet, so I'm going to be good and make sure I get my way to heaven. No, no, your trust is in yourself. You are not right with God. Even if you think you are, you are not if your trust is in the wrong thing. It's actually really, really simple. Now, all this means that, guys, the stuff in this passage tonight is the best news in the world. Nothing matters more than this. Now, if you don't believe in this stuff, just entertain a thought for a second. If this was true, try and name a thing that is more important or better than this. If this is true, nothing matters more than being not guilty before God, where you'll spend eternity. It's much bigger than anything that can happen in the next 70 years. It's eternity. It's a relationship we've got in the right place forever. Now, what do we do with this? I want, I want, to, I want to have this passage hit three different types of people here tonight, and hopefully I'll cover all of you if, if you're here. Right? First of all, I want this passage to speak to the Christians who are here tonight. Because this stuff has stuff to say to us. What this passage means is very simple but important. Here it is. Keep trusting Jesus. That's it. A guy called Dave Myers used to be the youth pastor here at EV Youth um, before I was. And he had this catchphrase, keep trusting Jesus, keep trusting Jesus. And he just just said it anywhere and everywhere he could. Like if he did something on the internet at the end, it would be like, keep trusting Jesus, send you an email, blah, blah, blah. See you on Wednesday, keep trusting Jesus. SMSs, keep trusting Jesus. In a conversation, see you later, mate, keep trusting Jesus. He just kept on saying it, keep trusting Jesus. And I was like, I wish I had a catchphrase. And I always used to wonder how how he came up with that. I was like, how did he work out that was the most important thing? Like what if there was something else that would be better to say? But I think I genuinely agree with him now. I get it. I don't think there's anything else that matters more for you as an individual, just in your own worldview about yourself, ignoring the rest of the world, that you personally keep on trusting Jesus. While ever your trust is in him, you are certain of your destination at the end of this life. And if your trust is not in him, you may be unaware of this, but the Bible confidently says you are not right with God if your trust is not in Jesus. So keep trusting Jesus. Secondly, this passage has a lot to say to the people out there who think they are Christians or thought they are Christians, assume that they're Christians, even though they are not. I reckon this was me once and once before, I reckon. I reckon I grew up in a Christian home, being taught constantly about Jesus and how good he is and that he's God and kind of vaguely having something to do with him, I guess, in my head. But the problem was... I remember clearly in retrospect a time where someone explained sin clearly to me and I was like, crud, well, I'm not going to heaven then. If that's what sin's like, I'm stuffed. And then the next day they explained that Jesus had died and so I trust in that to go to heaven. And I went home from that camp going, yeah, this is sick. And I was heaps excited about that. But it never occurred to me that actually if I'd worked that out then on that camp, what that meant was my trust was actually in myself prior to that. And so what I want to say to you guys is, if tonight, as you walked in that door, you thought that your relationship, your standing with God was somehow tied up in the things that you do and not entirely 100% about what Jesus has done on the cross, if there's any confusion about that all at all, what that means is you did walk in that door tonight 
not a Christian, even if you're from a Christian home, Christian school, thought you knew what it was all about, if this is true, you weren't a Christian up to that point because you didn't get this stuff, which is worth acknowledging because that means you can do something about that tonight if you want to. Forget what you were earlier tonight. You can become a Christian tonight. And the good news is it's actually pretty simple. You can do it in the next five seconds just by sitting in the chair because all you need to do is transfer what you're trusting in. I was trusting in this thing and that was just me being good or whatever I thought it was that would get me to heaven and just simply trust Jesus now. Lean back in the harness. It's not hard. And so if you do that tonight, that's you actually becoming a Christian, which is awesome. And so if that is you, do that. And don't be ashamed of that. Own that. Celebrate that tonight you actually worked out what the difference between heaven and hell is and you're a Christian because your trust is in Jesus. So do that if that's you tonight. Lastly, I want to speak to, I want this passage to speak to people who aren't Christians. Now, it could be that you still have questions about this stuff and you really are not sure. And if that's you, a great thing to do would be to go to that evidence seminar that's running here, 515 next week. But I reckon there's a bunch of people hanging around youth group who have been around for ages and they know all they need to know. And and I think as as preachers, we keep on getting up here and saying to you guys, you guys have got to check this stuff out. This stuff is important, so make sure you investigate and check stuff out. And half of you are like, I don't really know how to check this out. What you've all said makes sense and I think I agree with it, but I don't know how to check stuff out, but I better not do anything until I've done that. I want to say tonight, I, I, I want to tell you guys again, check stuff out. I'm sick of saying that. I wanted to say... Put your trust in Jesus. If you've heard this stuff in the Bible tonight, you realize what it is will save you, you know enough to put your trust in Jesus. And so if you're in that category, man, just do it. I don't know what would hold you back. Here's the simplest definition I can ever give you of what it means to become a Christian. Becoming a Christian or a Christian is someone who trusts Jesus to save them and trust Jesus to be the king of their life. That's it. That's what a Christian is. I'm going to pray. If you guys want to become a Christian tonight, there's nothing magical about praying a prayer. There's nothing mystical or weird about all this. This is just you telling Jesus and God who you trust. Pray this prayer in your own head, and that's you telling God who you trust. That's you becoming a Christian. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray three simple things. Thank you for dying. Oh, man, I've forgotten. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you for dying. Please. What? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry for my sin. Yeah. Sorry for my sin. Repentance. I'm sorry for my sin. Please help me to live for you. Thank you for dying to save me. That's what I'm going to pray. So join me if you want to pray that. Pray it in your head. <clears throat> um, God, we are sorry for the way we sinned against you. God, thank you that Jesus did die and offers us salvation for free as a gift. Please help us to live with him as our Lord, knowing that we are saved. Amen.